This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Alik Yawmiddin. Allahumma laka alhamdu ilayka al-mushtaka, wa bika thiqatu alayka tuklan, wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-aliyu al-azim. Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yassir li amri, wa hal uqatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأن تجعل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن اهتدى بهديه واستنى بسنته ودعا بدعوته إلى يوم الدين um, We are continuing our tafsir lesson where we, go, where we're going through Surah Al-Baqarah uh, Last week we spoke about the ayat that or was it the week before? Yes, it was the week before, Afan. Uh, we spoke about the ayat that speak about uh, qisas and um, what we called a retribution. Retribution. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about the wisdoms behind it. And we discussed that the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are there to protect mankind. The laws of Allah are there to protect us. And if we apply the laws of Allah, or we allow them to be applied to us, Everything prospers Because the Quran is a guide For all of mankind And it is guidance For every aspect of our life And that includes uh, When it comes to the laws that we set for ourselves And what we are supposed to do Or not supposed to do And if we do something wrong How that wrong should be rectified Um we also spoke about the balance that Al-Islam brings, especially uh, the Sharia from Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as it relates to the previous revelations or the previous scriptures, and that you, or sometimes what is perceived as previous scriptures, I should say, and you will find the extreme leniency as it relates to the Nasara and the Christian faith, and the great harshness that is present within the uh, the Jewish traditions, especially in the Torah. And you'll see a balance within Al-Islam as it relates to the qasas. If someone kills, then the moment they transgress upon someone else's life, they forfeit the sanctity of their life. So you talked about how everyone has uh, sanctity. Their life, it's worth something, it cannot be taken. Your life is not yours to begin with. It is a gift Allah gave you. And you're not supposed to infringe on that gift, whether it is other other people's lives or your own, which is why things like killing yourself is also not allowed in Islam. So when uh, when you have uh, this, when people start doing that and taking other people's lives, there must be retribution. There must be justice. And we explained that the ayats that we read, uh, they talk about how that justice is done, and that that uh, a, a life is taken for a life. Now, is that necessary? Meaning, is that compulsory? Must every single time a life is taken, a life be given? No. But if someone is convicted, if someone is proven that they killed someone, then it goes back to the family, and the family has a choice between three things. Who remembers what those three things are? Go ahead. For the person to be killed as they have killed? Or for the dia, the blood money to be paid, or or to forgive them. So those options are there. So the leniency is present, uh, 
and but at the same time, the justice is not completely uh, abolished. And this is a balance that is very much present within our deen. Today, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to be speaking about the ayats that speak about another hukum, another uh, hukum, which is uh, al-wasiyah. Wasiyah. Now, wasiyah is when you bequest something. And this is for when death comes upon you. When death comes upon you, then it is required of you to ensure that whatever assets, wealth you have, to ensure that it goes to uh, the people that have right over you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning in these ayats that are coming, what one should do regarding when, they are, when death approaches them. What should you do regarding your parents and those that have rights over you? Now this, this ayah that we're going to be reciting is actually an abrogated verse. And the concept of abrogation should not be new to you guys because it was introduced in uh, the concept of abrogation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whenever he abrogates something, then he will bring something better or equal to it. And that a lot of things in, in the Islam, the constant abrogation is something that's present within our religion and there is nothing, nothing wrong with that. And uh, it makes sense from a shari perspective because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes something obligatory upon us and then later on uh, either lifts that obligation, when Allah makes something haram for us and then later on makes it easy for us, this is uh, from the ni'mah of al-Islam. And you'll find, for example, the uh, the gradual approach Allah took as it relates to prohibiting alcohol, for example. So a rule comes, it's replaced with another rule, it's replaced with another rule. Or when the Prophet ﷺ said that initially visiting graves was not allowed. And then later on he said, I used to say, don't visit the graves, but now you can. So that rule change, there is a wisdom behind it. And some of the ulama mentioned that part of it was that initially when Islam was new and the message of Tawheed was new, it was important that there was no attachment to graves and no veneration was happening. So that door was completely closed. Then later on, when uh, uh, the Iman and the Tawheed was firm in the roots of the Sahaba, now you can visit graves, indeed it will remind you of Akhirah. So the idea of a rule being present, and we mentioned, for example, the rule of the one that was heavily spoken about by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the surah was the Qibla change. At first they were praying to one direction and Allah removed that rule and replaced it with another and now we face the Qibla, uh, the Kaaba. This is all Nasakh and abrogation. The following ayah you're going to recite, that we're going to read, its rulings, many of it, or are abrogated. And this was mentioned by Ibn Abbas. And it is narrated from him that he, that he read this ayah. He read Surah Al-Baqarah until he reached this verse. And then he said that this verse has been abrogated and replaced with the verses that speak about inheritance. This verse, verse 180, has been abrogated and replaced with the verses that speak about inheritance. Now, what does that mean? It means this ayah will, Allah says to us, uh, Allah is telling us that uh, when death approaches one of you, who leaves wealth, it is prescribed that you should make a proper bequest to parents and close relatives. So you should say, my mom should get this much, my father should get this much, my relatives should get this much. You should assign to people in a just and good way. This is what the ayah says. Then when the ayats of inheritance were revealed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already told us what they should get. So it was removed from your decision 
Now you don't decide what your father is going to get up on your wealth. It's been decided already in Surah An-Nisa. Everyone's portion has been already given. It's done. So it is not up to you. So if someone were to say, uh, death approaches them, and he says, you know what, I never liked my, uh, my wife. She can't get any of my inheritance. Is it up to him? No, when you die, she'll get the inheritance. It's not up to you. Allah removed the choice from us and distributed the hukuk. If you say, you know what, uh, my father was never good to me. I don't want to give him anything. Again, it's not up to you. Right? If you didn't like a particular son or child of yours and said, you know what, this one was really good to me. You get all the money. You, you get nothing. Again, it's not up to you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided. So this ayah was revealed before those ayat. Another rule you should remember, whenever we mention a verse is abrogated, the abrogated verse comes before, or hadith comes before the, the new rule. So in that regard, which ayats came first? The ones talking about the bequesting here or the inheritance ones? These ones came first, and then later on they were replaced with the ayat that speak about inheritance. Tayyib. Uh, Similarly, the Prophet ﷺ emphasized this point when he said, uh, Allah has given everyone who has a right his due. So there is no bequesting or there's no bequeathing to one who will be inheriting. Right? So uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already gave this portion, the, 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 assigned the portions for everyone. So there is no wasiya for the one who is inheriting. Tayyib. Uh, let's read the ayat now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah has uh, made obligatory upon you when death approaches one of you, in taraka khayran, if he leaves any good, meaning if he leaves any wealth. Al wasiyah to bequest or make a proper bequest to whom? Lil walidaini for the parents. You see an emphasis on the parents here, and this is very much present in our deen. That there is a, a, a emphasis always given on the haq of the parents. Whether that is your, the time you give them, the help you give them, and the wealth you give them as well. In fact, just like it is wajib upon you to take care of your children, it is wajib upon you to take care of your, of your parents. Um, and that, of course, that rule will vary, especially if they are mu'sir. Uh, if they are struggling, then it is definitely wajib upon you to take care of them, as opposed to if they are very wealthy, and that rule might change depending on the person's circumstances. It is described that he should make a proper bequest to parents, well aqrabin and close relatives. Bil ma'roof, in a ma'roof way. Meaning, a good way, where you are duty-bound. Even when the ayats of inheritance were not revealed, you're told... Use ma'roof. When you are giving, don't give one person so much and neglect other people. Don't be uh, uh, unjust in how you give out your wealth. Haqqan ala al-muttaqeen. Indeed, this is something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. Inna dhalika haqqan, basically. This is ala al-muttaqeen. This word haqq here is haqqallahu uh, haqqan. Allah has made obligatory. So it wasn't a choice that you, when you're bequesting that you should do it in a proper way. And that you should write it as well. And this is something that's still present actually. So when we say these ayahs have abrogated, uh, it does not mean that now you cannot do a wasiyah. You still can. But what's limited is how much you can do wasiyah for. How much you can assign and direct and say you can get this and you can get that. So if a person, death is approaching them, how much of their wealth can they 
say, do this with it, do that with it, do this with it. And how much of it must they not leave untouched so that the people that are going to inherit it, get it. So let's say someone had 90,000 pounds. 90,000 pounds, right? And death approaches him or he realizes it's time, my time is close. Can he say, uh, okay, uh, 90,000 pounds, give it all to sadaqah. Can he do this? No, he cannot do this. He cannot do this. Why? Because there are people that have a right to that wealth. Those that are going to inherit him. Right? Can he say, so can he do anything with that wealth? Can he touch any of it? Yes, he can. How much? One third. How much tasarruf can you do with the wealth once death approaches you before the rest is left for the inheritors? A thuluth. One third. وَثُلُثُ كَثِيرٌ And a third is a lot. And uh, this is based on the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when Sa'd ibn Waqas radiallahu anhu mentioned to him that he wanted to give out his wealth. And he said, I want to give this much out. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, less, less. Why? Because the more you give in sadaqah, the less your, the people that have haqq on you are going to what? Inherit. And you have to keep that in mind as well. And then until he mentioned... Uh, a third, and the Prophet said, "Fine, a third, and that is a lot." Based on the Prophet's statement, a third was thuluth kathir. Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu, said, "It is not recommended for you to give to to uh, do wasiyah with a third, right? In fact, you should make it less. You should make it maybe a quarter." He mentioned a rubu. Lesh, limada? Why? Because if you do a third, what did the Prophet say? It's what. It's a lot. And what is the whole point of inheriting? So that the people you leave off are enriched because of it. And the Prophet said this to Sa'ad. He said, for you to leave your daughters rich and in, is better or wealthy is better than for you to leave them as people that are begging or people that are in need. So again, it's all good that you give sadaqah, you want to give sadaqah jariya, or you want to give some to your friends, or for relatives that wouldn't inherit you, but you can't give so much to the point where you leave nothing for those that have haq over you. Does that make sense? Tayyip. Uh, uh, let's read the ayats. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah has made obligatory upon you, Allah, that once death approaches you, when moth comes, when death comes, that doesn't mean, um, that means asbabul mawt, when the reasons for death come. And uh, when you know it's your time, then it is very important that you do the wasiyah. Uh, so let me explain this a bit more. So we mentioned that you can do a third. So if you have 90,000, how much are you allowed to give wasiyah in? 30,000. That 30,000, that third, what are you allowed to do with? Whatever you wish. You can give it in sadaqah, you can give it to a person. Can you give that to the people that will inherit you? The people that will inherit you? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But uh, it is important that you do not show favoritism as a, as a father or a husband. Uh, as, but the main thing is that no one gets less than what they should have gotten. No one gets less than what they should have gotten. But if you give someone more based on the, what you can give or see, and this is okay. Um, so what is the rule? You can give, you can bequest uh, a third. The rest is the inheritance. The rest is the inheritance. Taib. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said it is important that uh, that we make a proper request to parents and close relatives. Uh, this is something that is a, a wajib upon those that have taqwa. And Allah said, فَمَنْ بَدَّلَّهُ بَعْدَ مَا سَمِعَهُ Whoever alters the bequest after hearing it. So usually when you're making this, uh, someone is writing it. You have nowadays lawyers involved, but even if someone is writing, right? Saying, okay, so he said this much will go to this person and this much will go to that person. Even if it was, whether, whether this is before the ayats of inheritance were revealed, where you would assign all of your wealth, or after the ayats of inheritance were revealed, and you will assign a third of your wealth, this would be written down. Now, you're upon your deathbed, so you do not know, will this be distributed the way you asked? Will it, right? So the person that's writing it down might do, might lie, right? Or he might say something that you never meant, or misconstrue your, your, what you wanted. These things can happen. So if they do, and then someone gets, uh, oppression happens. If that happens, whose fault is it? If anyone alters the bequest. After hearing it. In the, the the ithim, the sin, is upon the one uh, who altered it. Not upon the one who ordered it. Because uh, he didn't say, uh, if, if what you said is not done, it is not upon you basically. The guilt of the, and the ithim of the alteration and the changing will fall on those that did that. In Allah sami'un, Allah is the one all-hearing, alimun, all-knowing. Allah is the all-hearing, what is the... Munasaba, uh, why is the Allah's hearing mentioned? Because Allah heard what that man said. And if you then do something different than what he asked you to do, Allah heard that. Alimun, Allah knows what you're doing as well. Allah is hearing and knowing, knowing what all we're doing. In fact, always when you know, when you hear Allah's names, uh, when you hear Allah is Sami'ah, you need to ask Allah is the all hearing. You need to ask, okay, Allah hears when we say something that is? Wrong. And that should uh, worry you. And you should try and ensure that what you're saying is that which is good, always. Right? Because Allah hears it. But also, it should give you glad tidings. Because Allah hears your dua. Allah hears your Quran recitation. Allah hears the good that you do as well. And often we, we, we tend to, when we think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's beautiful names and attributes, we, don't, we sometimes don't look at the positive side of it enough. Right? Allah is alim, He knows. He's alimun bi sariratika. Allah knows what's in your heart. Which means if you have anger or hatred or envy or, or, or jealousy or what, or, or, or riyah, Allah knows that. But Allah also knows that you have iman. Allah knows that you have taqwa. Allah knows the good that you're planning on doing, that you didn't get to do. All this stuff, right? So Allah is sami' and alim and you should always remind yourself of both. Tayyib. Um, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَمَنْ خَافَ مِنْ مُوسِينَ جَنَفًا أَوْ إِثْمًا فَأَصْلَحَ بَيْنَهُمْ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that earlier, who was wrong? The person that made the wasiyah, he said it how he wanted it to be. But then someone changes it, and if they do, they are the sinners, and there's no sin on the person that died. Are you guys with me? Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes the person writing the wasiyah, uh, might be doing something uh, that is a mistake. He might be doing something that is inappropriate with the, with the wealth, uh, giving a wrong wasi. If that happens, if anyone knows that the that the bequester or the person that is requesting, if he has made a mistake or done wrong, 
And then the person that wrote it down or was in charge afterwards, he puts it right between the parties. If he does islah, this type of alteration is allowed. Right? So if the person that did the wasiyah was harmful, oppressive and unjust in it, then any alteration that is done based on justice and righteousness is allowed. Earlier we were told, any alteration, those that alter it will be sinful. Here Allah is telling us, فَمَنْ خَافِ مُوسِمْ جَنَّفًا إِثْمًا Right, so if you are worried that the person will uh, make a mistake or do ithm, then you are allowed to uh, intervene. فَأَصْلَحَ بَيْنَهُمْ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ He reconciles between the parties, because the party, the one who was leaving the wealth and those who was going to receive it. And, um, or those that received more, uh, or those that were uh, done uh, injustice against, and he puts things right, then there is no sin on him. In Allah ghafoon, Allah is the all-forgiving, Rahimun, the giver of mercy. After the ayats, after the ayats of qasas uh, were mentioned, and the ayats of wasiyah were mentioned, Allah mentioned the ayats related to fasting. And you, you learn something quite interesting here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded us as it relates to the laws that we govern ourselves by when we were talking about retribution. Allah advises us as it relates to the laws that we govern ourselves by as it relates to distributing wealth among ourselves. Allah also commands us of the laws which by we worship Him. And this is why now Siyam is mentioned. And it shows you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's laws are not only personal ibadat, they are not only guidance with regards to how we govern and rule ourselves, nor how we run our wealth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's guidance encompasses everything. And that's very important to remember. It is very, uh, alhamdulillah, it is barakah, that we are reading the ayat of Siyam, and the month of fasting is approaching. It's very appropriate. Verse 183 is about fasting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal amanu, O you who believe. Fasting has been made obligatory upon you. It has been made wajib upon you. Just us? No. Like it has been made obligatory upon those that came before you. Why? So that you may attain taqwa. So that you may be mindful of Allah. This is the, the hikmah behind fasting. So here, ikhwani fillah, wa akhwati fillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the wisdom behind fasting. Allah also tells us, after calling us by nida'ul uh, iman, O you who believe. Every time you hear an ayah that says, O you who believe, you should pay attention. It is your Lord speaking to you. O you who believe. In fact, I believe there is a, there's a book, small risala. It's not a small risala, it's a, it's a, it's a risala that was written, Allah irhamuh by Shaykh Abu Bakr al-Jazairi. He was one of the scholars that used to teach tafsir uh, in, the, in the haram. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on him. He passed away. He has a tafsir as well. Uh, I'm not sure if it's transcribed from his actual tafsir or he wrote it himself. Aysar uh, al-Tafsir. Uh, Shaykh Abu Bakr al-Jazairi, he um, has a book called Nida'atul Rahman li Ahl al-Iman. Right? The calls of the most merciful to the believers. And he compiled it, every single ayah that starts with the ayah ladina amanu, and he gives a tafsir on it, or an explanation on it, right? So it's important that you always pay attention when Allah says, Ya ayyuh ladina amanu, like uh, we had one before, Ya ayyuh ladina amanu, kutub alaykum al-qisas, now we have Ya ayyuh ladina amanu, kutub alaykum al-siyam. 
Um, fasting, siyam, sometimes also said psalm. Fasting, siyam, uh, linguistically means al-imsak. It is to abstain. Siyam is to abstain. Allah says in the Quran when He was speaking about Maryam, that she said after she brought Isa alayhi salam, a child without a father, and they claimed, or they asked the question, where did you get this child from? Your mother, you are from a good family, what is wrong with you? And they insinuated that she got this child by evil means. She said, Inni nadartu lirrahmani sawma. So you said, I have made another uh, an oath that uh, to, to the Rahman that I will do sawm. I will abstain. Does she mean she was going to fast by not eating and drinking? No, she meant she will abstain from what? From talking. This is why later she said, فَأَشَارَتْ إِلَيْهِ She pointed to the child. So, psalm is to abstain. The psalm that is mentioned here, or the siyam that is mentioned here, it is to abstain from what? الْإِمْسَاكُمْ عَنِ الْمُفْتِرَاتِ It is to abstain from anything that will break your fast. That is eating and drinking and physical relations and all that. So you abstain from that. Now, this abstinence that we practice, why do you practice it? And are we the only people that practice it? First of all, we're not the only people that practice it. In fact, the people that came before us also did. Generally speaking, when Allah mentions الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ It means the, the Yahud and the Nasara and those that came before us, Al-Umm al-Sabiqah. Um, what is the benefit of mentioning that there were people that fasted before us? What is the benefit behind it? There's two benefits behind it. One of them is that we understand that this is not only us. You're not the first people that were asked to fast. And what is the benefit of knowing we're not the only people that are fast? A taklif. If the taklif is aam, it becomes lesser, it becomes easier. If you know everyone has to do it, and other people have to do it, then the burden is a little bit less on you. If someone told you every single day, you have to wake up at 4 a.m. And you're like, just me, no, no. Everyone has to do it. All of a sudden, you feel a bit better about it, right? And when we learn, we're not the only ummah asked to fast. Freebies ummah, you realize this is not something specific to us. It's not a burden in that sense. Similarly, another fact is, there should be some tanafus. The, the earlier ummahs fasted for Allah, you got an opportunity to fast for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Don't be left out of this great khair that was practiced by those that came before us. You do it as well. And also, again, who is the divine legislator? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that was legislating for them is legislating for us. Uh, not to mention that the manba' of wahi is always the same and you always find parallels in revelation. What they, they were praying, we were praying, they were fasting, we are fasting, they were giving sadaqah, we are giving sadaqah, etc. Right? And that the changes with, between, from nation to nation and prophet to prophet, the similarities are always more. Allah says, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, o you who believe, kutiba alaykum usiyami, fasting have been prescribed upon you, kama kutiba al ladhina min qablikum, like those that came before you. La'allakum tattaqun, so that you may be among the people that have taqwa. Um, we don't fast. The, I, the, there is sometimes you'll find some people that will say, we fast the month of Ramadan to empathize with the needy. We fast the month of Ramadan to ensure our bodies get a cleanse throughout the year. We're eating so much. We fast the month of Ramadan because it is healthy. 
We fast the month of Ramadan because of this reason or that reason. This is not why we fast Ramadan. This is not why we fast Ramadan. These are benefits that came as a result of fasting, but this is not why we fast Ramadan. And the simple reason is, we fast because Allah asked us to. We fast as a worship to our Creator. We fast because we love Allah and we want to follow Allah's commandments. We fast because we fear Allah and we don't want to go against His commandments. These are the reasons why we, we fast. And it is important that that is always emphasized. That this is a ibadah. And that anything that comes as a result of a benefit of an ibadah is great, but that's never the initial hikmah. Because if you start doing that, you start saying, like some people have said, the prayer is a daily exercise. You know, we get to move up and down. It's good for our blood and our bones and this. And this is really trivializing this great ibadah, isn't it? And this is not what the prayer is about. But where did that mentality come from? It came as a result of, let me see, what are some of the benefits as it relates to salah? What are some of the benefits as it relates to this? And then, these might be intended benefits, but the wisdom behind it is always ibadah, servitude, worship, taqwa, these meanings. And you need to always keep that in mind. Another fa'idah is that taqwa uh, is, there are many, many ta'rifat, many definitions for taqwa. And here Allah is telling us fasting is supposed to give you taqwa. Taqwa is usually translated in English as piety or God consciousness, being mindful of Allah, sometimes even fair. Um, so fasting is something that will lead to taqwa. Some of the ulama mentioned that the reason for this is because fasting is one of those things that you can't do and uh, show off. You can't truly, it's, it's very difficult to do riyah with fasting. Because it is a hidden ibadah. During the day, someone is walking, and if they're fasting or not, can you tell? You cannot tell, right? And this, it lends itself to be an ibadah that is for the sake of Allah. Because it's nature is that is hidden. You don't know if someone is fasting or not. Someone might be fasting almost every single day and you, had, you would have no idea. Unless you invite that person for a meal or something. And how often does that happen? Right? And if someone wants to lie about it and tell people, you know, I fast. Do you know I'm fasting today? Um, and it makes it a point to mention it. They could just lie about it and, and eat. Right? And if they care about their ibadah, they wouldn't mention it. So it lends itself to be something that you, when you do it, it's for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Now the problem is when people, and this is a problem people are facing, when their niyyah becomes corrupted because, you know, I can't wait, Ramadan is coming close, good time to lose weight. And if this is what your mindset goes there, and it does, it does, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm ready to kind of get, get healthy now, I'm waiting for Ramadan, right? This, uh, you're really um, polluting the good intention fasting should have with this, Right? Uh, am I saying that if someone decides to have a healthy iftar and healthy suhoor in Ramadan that they're wrong? No, they're not wrong. But there's a difference between doing that and planning your Ramadan around the fact that the main thing about it is I get to eat less and this, and, and you remove the whole ibadah aspect of it. Tayyip. Um, another ikhwanifillah way of looking at taqwa is the essence of taqwa when you're conscious of Allah is that you're conscious Worshipping Allah and your conscious staying away from sin, 
right? You're not trying to, do, you're actively avoiding sin. And uh, there are many sins that we fall into. Some are sins that we speak and some are sins that we do. Some are sins that we do publicly, some are that we do privately. And we sometimes lack the strength, the iman to stop ourselves. And we're all struggling with personal sins, right? But in Ramadan, we have the strength to stop ourselves from doing something we are desperate for. You are desperate for water, you are desperate for food, and yet you have the, the, the ability to stop yourself, right? If you can stop yourself from not eating and from not drinking for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then surely you should be able to have the strength to stop yourself from lying and cheating and doing all these things. So Ramadan is a good time for you to be reminded of that you are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through your fast by stopping yourself. You're at home, there's no one in the house. The fridge is right there. What's stopping you from opening up a, a, a can and drinking it or drinking some water? What's stopping you? Most people say, I don't want to break my fast. Limada out of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a great sin, and it is. Now this, this ability that you have to stop yourself, Use that and channel that into the other sins that you are struggling with. This is the whole point of, of uh, or some of the fa'idas of fasting, and this is taqwa. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then said, Ayyaman ma'adudat. So fasting has been described for a number of days. Ayyam ma'adudat. A number of days. Right? A very small number of days. Ma'adudat. And meaning you can count them. You can count them. We fast either 30 days or what? 20? 29. It's either 30 or 29 because the Islamic months never become 31 days. What some of the differences between the, the Islamic months and the, the Gregorian calendar is that the Islamic uh, months are always imma thalathun. They are either 30 or 29. So Ramadan can only either be 30 or 29. So Allah says, ayam ma'adudat, in number of days. And so, why is that important that we're being told that? Again, this is not something difficult. It's just for a number of days. A number of days. So you're not told to be fasting every single day of your life. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضٌ أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٌ And if one of you is sick or traveling, if one of you is sick or traveling, فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَامٍ أُخْرٍ then let him count those days uh, on other days later. Let him count them or let him do them basically on other days. Meaning what? If you're traveling or you're sick, and then you break your fast, then you can make up those fast other days. This is the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the ease of our religion. And we have a qa'id in our religion. Difficulty brings about ease. Meaning, and the true meaning of this is Al-Mashaqqatu Za'ida Al-Mashaqqatu Za'ida Difficulty that is um, extraordinary Because there is an ordinary difficulty that comes with all acts of uh, worship So if someone says, you know what, well, fasting is kind of difficult You know, I get hungry, I got work I need to break it And they use this principle Well, there is a principle When things get difficult, Allah makes it easy for us I'm not going to fast because fasting is difficult generally That's not the difficulty that we're talking about here we're talking about a difficulty that is more than what everyone else is experiencing. So, your friend who's healthy when he fasts, he might experience some difficulty, but you who are sick are experiencing what? More difficulty because you are sick. It is this extra difficulty when it happens, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the sharia easy so you can take a break. 
right? And it's your responsibility that you understand, okay, when you should break a fast and whatnot. If you have a very mild, mild, mild headache, that you would, and, and you could power through your fast, then you probably should fast, right? But if, it's, if you're really sick and it would be better off for your body and for your health to break a fast, then you break a fast, right? And this is up to the person. طيب. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كَانِكُمْ مَرِيدٌ Whoever is sick, أَوْ عَلَى سَفْرٍ Or if you are traveling, and travel is always difficult. Did I go over my time? SubhanAllah. فَعِدَّةٌ مِنَ يَامٍ أُخْرَ Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, then on other days later. Then Allah said, وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ يُدِيقُونَهُ فِدَّةٌ دَعَوْ مِسْكِينَ For those who can fast only with extreme difficulty, and there are a number of tafasir here. Those who cannot fast Those who are unable to fast And who are those? They are the, uh, the elderly person That reached an age where they cannot fast For example uh, and, and someone that uh, has uh, in, in, in A continuous illness That will not change So they cannot fast There are certain diseases that people have That prevents them from fasting Those people They are incapable of fasting Or وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ يُدِيقُونَهُ Another riwayah, another, uh, another qira'ah, is, uh, uh, it mentions those that can do it with extreme difficulty. Uh, so uh, they can do it, but it's really difficult. Imagine a, a 98-year-old uh, uh, man or woman, and you ask them to fast, and you know how difficult it would be for them, for example. Or someone that has an illness and it's really difficult for a fast. So what do they do? Uh, those people, feed they feed a needy person. They feed a needy person. Uh, and, uh, and Allah said, uh, and for anyone that does good, and this is better for them. Uh, and, and then Allah said, خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ And for you to fast is better for you if only you knew. And there's another fact in here. Uh, I will definitely repeat this verse because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of commentary that should be mentioned about this verse before you continue. But there's another fact in here which is that some aspects of this ayah, some ulama said are mansukh, have been abrogated. And this ayah, it, it mentions or it alludes to the fact that fasting at first was a choice. At first, fasting was a choice. It wasn't obligatory on all. In the beginning of Islam, it was a choice. You could fast or you could feed an easy person. You had option. And then later on, it was made obligatory on everyone to fast the whole month of Ramadan. This and other aspects of this and the following ayats, we will continue on, inshallah ta'ala, uh, next week. Barakallahu feekum. Hada wa akhru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.